Welcome down to another episode of Paddy Talks Golf. It's been, it's a couple of days late, folks. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but life does get in the way sometimes. Um, on uh, Unbeknownst to many, this is a part-time gig for me. Side gig, hustle, hobby. Uh, but it's proudly sponsored and supported by Fork Golf Custom. Uh, the family-run business in Clean Tassel. Custom fitting, all golfers of all ages, sizes and swings. And fitting them to the best and building them uh, into better golfers, including this lad from West Wildford, who's in Pebble Beach this week. Hey, I'm Seamus Power on the PGA Tour. If you're looking for the best golf club reviews out there on YouTube, just check out the guys at 4Golf Custom. They've custom fit my golf clubs for years and they're the best in the business. Best in the business is right. Um, I'm going to be going over there soon testing stuff. All the new stuff is out now, so I can't wait to get over. And if you want to see what I'm testing or get involved or ask me questions, slide into the DMs. Or probably, I might even go live on the old Instagram machine. That's at Paddy Talks Golf. I forgot my own name there. At Paddy Talks Golf on Instagram. Um, or I might use the old Elon Musk or, or Twitter machine these days as well and just get some ideas. So um, follow me on there. Maybe you're listening to the show on PaddyTalksGolf.com. If you, if you are, great. Shop around, look around their website, see can you find anything new there. Um, but otherwise, it gets, let's get stuck in. The best in the business help out this show, and we're definitely speaking to one of the best in the business, one of the best coaches on the planet, on the spherical object that we live on, and that's Hugh Marr. Um, happened to be at a Trackman workshop just over the road from me where I live, so luckily was to be able to be in his presence. We did this one remotely a couple of weeks after. I hope you enjoy it. I look forward to your feedback. Let me know your takeaways. Roll it there. Colette. I mean, listen, we talking about practice. Joe Bradley told us the production line was finished in Kerry. Well, Joe Bradley, what did he get at? Hugh Marr, are you ready to tee it up? I am ready, always ready. That's, Born that's ready. The, that's the official start of the podcast. So um, <laughs> I, I, I thought about it. I, I brought it. Uh, I conjured it up all by myself. Hugh Marr, where are you from? Uh, originally from Glasgow, and I escaped 23, nearly 24 years ago now. So I live, uh, I live just outside of London. Very good. Um, First question I generally try and always ask people on this little show is, what is your earliest golfing memory? My earliest golfing memory is hitting balls with my brother up and down the football and rugby pitches at school. Uh, the school pitches were just over the road from the house with my grandmother's clubs. So that is going back probably 28 to 30 years, believe it or not. So you were five, five or six. Um, yeah, very, very kind of you to say, <laughs> I wish. So um, do you come from a golfing family then, if the grandmother had clubs? No, actually, I'm not really from a sporting family at all. Uh, my dad's not sporty. My mother wasn't particularly sporty. But my grandmother was a very good player. She was a low single digits player. And when she moved, uh, when she moved in with us, the golf clubs ended up in the garage. And uh, my brother and I just, uh, just started to make use of them and, was pretty much hooked straight away. And when, when, or I suppose maybe when and what age? It's more the question. Did you did you graduate from playing Crossbar Challenge with your brother? Yeah. Uh, to 
playing on a golf course and beginning that journey? Uh, pretty much immediately. Um, my family said a little uh, a little button bend in the uh, in the north of Scotland for well, Christ forever, for as long as I can remember. And when my brother and I were young, basically the only thing we could do was play golf. They got a nice little eighteen hole golf course at Braemar. And I'd just go out there and play and play and play. That was my uh, that was my summer's entertainment. Was there any other sports growing up? Big soccer yeah. part of the world is Glasgow. Yeah, I was a I was a half decent footballer. I enjoyed playing football, and uh, it's something that basically fell by the wayside when I decided to take golf more seriously. Um, and yeah, I'm still a big football fan. For my sins, I'm a Tottenham Hotspur fan, which. Uh, it's a heavy, it's a heavy burden. <laughs> a heavy burden to carry. That's funny. I'm actually, I'm actually, I was actually in Spurs Stadium a couple of weeks ago. Uh, oh, I say a couple of weeks ago. It's actually next week, but this podcast doesn't go out for a couple of weeks. Oh, oh yeah, I like that. Um, <laughs> there you go. I, I'm very transparent. For all the listeners, know I, I'm behind. <laughs> <laughs> um, what did you make of? Um, did you watch the All or Nothing with Tottenham Hotspur then on Amazon Prime? There are yeah, other streaming it. services available. Yeah, obviously I did. And yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm intrigued by anything high performance, a little like you. I I love seeing what expert coaches in other fields do. And Mourinho's clearly been an expert. He's got a very specific way of doing things, but he's clearly been an expert. And it's, if you're coaching people for a living, just sticking your head in the golf world is probably not the the way to get better. There's got, there's, there's other options out there. (laughs) Uh, I still come back to the conversation. I suppose it's all over social media now in terms of how things have panned out. Was when the, within the first month or so, you sat down with Delhi Alley. And yeah. I was like, you could be one of the best. But, and that has come to fruition, hasn't it? You know, yeah, I, I, I think his man management has taken for granted. Until I saw that show, I thought he was a fan yeah. of an intro club, lasted three years, left the culture and shit and moved on. But after watching yeah. that show, it isn't. Uh, absolutely not. I, I learned a lot. I've watched all the All or Nothing. I'm one of those yeah, guys who, who's read all the Steph Hebb's book and still can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when did you go all in on golf? What time was uh, it? Pro- teens and you were like, this is me? Or did we go to college like me and do engineering no. first, trying to no. figure things out? Um, I'm, I'm not an educated man, to say the least. I... I had pretty much made a decision that I wanted to become a professional golfer, despite um, my old man wasn't necessarily a fan of it. My mum was very supportive. And I basically got up from my school desk one day. I'd started sixth year. I was a nine handicap and I just got got up from my school desk mid-lesson and said, right, I'm done. I'm going to go and be a professional golfer. Um, I guess it's one of my character traits is I'm, I'm pretty stubborn. And so basically I left, uh, I got a job washing dishes in a restaurant to pay for it. My mum my and dad were very supportive in that they said, you're going to have to earn some money, but every pound you earn, we'll, uh, we'll, 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 we'll offer the same. Uh, so I went and washed dishes in the evening to pay for it. Uh, worked in a factory to pay for it. I mean, I had a number of pretty shitty jobs along the way to pay for it. Um, but within a year I was, I was down to about a scratch handicap and, Within 18 months, I'd joined the PGA's training program. So it was, I'd put myself in a position where I couldn't really fail. I had to, I had to stand up and, and basically deliver on, on my, I guess, impetuous 
17-year-old's decision. I actually, uh, my, my dad travelled a lot with business and I left school uh, <laughs> and had to pick up the phone to him. He was in Hamburg Airport. So he got a, he got one of the back in the days where there was no mobile phones. So he got an announcement over the intercom with uh, with David Marr, please go to uh, please go to the information desk. Uh, there's a phone call for him, and I said, Dad, I've just left school, and uh, he went apeshit. Is the airport where everybody gets called with with bad news? Because like anytime well, I get a phone call from a loved one or from a family member or. Uh, and I'm at the airport. It's kind of like their jail, get out of jail free card for telling me. Well, it was it, it was wrong. very good. It, it was very good news for me, and it was terrible news for him. So yeah. they balance each other out, right? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So that was basically that was basically. Um, I just co- committed to playing golf, and and when I look back, I always, even as a kid, I always wanted to. I was giving my mum help, trying to help my mum play golf, and I was giving lessons. They weren't lessons, but I was trying to help, and I was always a complete pervert for anything to do with golf. So back in the day, pre-video, every single magazine, every book, um, and uh, when I look back, I mean, I'm I'm an okay player. I'm not particularly gifted, but my passion was definitely in the coaching side of things, and and basically becoming this kind of all-knowing golf geek, which still it's still with me today. Absolutely. And like um, for anybody listening, I was at courtesy of Mike Malone in the large box uh, of Trackman. He, he invited me to a workshop in uh, in in uh, House last week, a few weeks ago now. Um, takes me a while to edit these, you. And uh, <laughs> you gave a session on his approach to coaching and expectations of coaches. And there was a lesson with a punter, not me. Uh, I, I was busy taking that photo. Um, so I asked you to come on, and he's gracefully given us his time. So I want to get stuck into, you know, I'm not going to ask about any of these, right? I'm not going to ask about Alex Noren, Tornbjorn Olsen, Martin Keimer, Andrew Beef Johnson, or any of those, right? Although I would love to ask one about Alex Noren. I've seen him on the range a couple of times, up close. And that, uh, I suppose everybody might ask you this question, about his, his field to impact. Is that coming from you, or is that coming straight out of... No, I never, I never coached Alex, but he's his his methodology is very driven by the sort of Mac O'Grady system. He works, he's worked with Matt Belsham extensively, um, and it's that's basically what he has to feel to produce the ball flight he wants. And you can, as extreme as it looks, you can't question how effective it is. The guy's a hell of a player. Hell of a player and and and, and, a, and, a, and a real a really good guy as well. One of the one of the good guys out there. Oh yes, I remember. If anyone has played Lehinch, have you been to Lehinch? You I go on about uh, yeah. a little bit at the home club. There was a, there was an Irish the Open Irish, there. The Irish five years ago. That's right. Yeah, I uh, was 2019, there. and and Alex was down on the second t- on the on the second hole every day. He was down left of the first fairway, which meant he had to hang a slinger. Kind of mid iron around the clubhouse, yeah. <laughs> to hit the second green, and yeah, uh, I notably was on that veranda drinking pints every time Naren <laughs> fizzed, fizzed the pro v over the over the balcony. So you know uh, what? I know I knew I'd seen you somewhere before. <laughs> yeah, I was the I was the stand up gentleman on the veranda uh, on benches. But um, your approach to using data hit me. Well, I've always been a bit of a 
a data geek and an understanding geek. I want to understand stuff. And the problem with golf coaching, and I'm, I've been very critical of it over the years, the problem with golf coaching is that so much of it is is based on intangibles. It's based on feels. And yet, particularly with the, with the, um, with the arrival of TrackMan, I guess 12, 15 years ago now, you were suddenly able to quantify the conversation between the club, the ball, and the ground. And it struck me that, well, if we can quantify that, then we can actually start to put some kind of system, some kind of mechanical system in place to, to ensure that you can make your golfers better with it. So I wanted to be in a position where when I was working with a player, I wasn't guessing. So as, as you'll have found out at the uh, Trapman seminar, that when I'm working with a player, I want to know what the data is and I want to identify what data point I can change that's going to have the biggest impact for that player. Because at the end of the day, as golf coaches, we have one job, which is to impact impact. Doesn't sound like much of a legacy, but unfortunately, as an industry, as we've got more um, more access to technology, we've got more access to data, to sports science, we've got further and further and further away from coaching the one thing that makes players better, appropriate impact for that golfer. And as I said it was just it's driven it's driven by wanting to objectify a a process that has become more and more and more subjective. No, it's very true. Because even like we say the test subject, the puncher we'll call him. Um, I don't know the David. I forget the first name. I'm David, so yeah. bad with names. Uh, I was good with names then. Um, was that there was maybe I don't know, 15, maybe 18 uh, PJ pros of all levels um around that teaching bay. And I loved how you you made them engage, you know. It wasn't like you were there to give all the answers. Um, and we were using track men a bit um, and looking at attack angles and, and fades apart. And the question was put to, okay, what's going on here? And I love that there was, you say it's subjective, there was like four, five, six different options to go. Yeah. But you always brought it back to like the roadmap and that to impact impact in the least evasive way for the player. Because like any, like I was involved in a kind of, high sporting environment in amateur GAA uh, yeah. with teams. It was like people in the dressing room only understand two, maybe three things going out onto the pitch. I mean, they couldn't have time. They'll remember one of them. So <laughs> I love the fact when you're te- teaching someone least evasive way, focus on one or two things and then go back to the data and say, have you made an impact? impact? So yeah. I loved that. Um, what, what's in your man cave in your, in your, in your teaching bay, when it comes to tech, there's the orange box. I would assume the orange, the orange box. Um, I'm still, I still rely on video camera because that's that's basically my means of turning my analysis. What is it about that data that needs to shift uh, into a diagnosis? How am I going to shift that data? Um, and uh, I've got Swing Catalyst, which is definitely definitely gets used. Um, but again, my swing catalyst has to talk to my trap man because if what I'm asking them to do from a movement or a pressure perspective isn't impacting impact, it's probably not an appropriate change. Um, I, I'm so very swing lucky catalyst, in, is that the, the balance plates or is that 3D? Yeah, a, com- a combination. Yeah, pre- f- pressure plates, um, which which get linked into a, a four-way video system. It's a very good, very good piece of technology. Um, I'm lucky in that I've shared my studio with Dr. Mark Bull for better part of 20 years i've been i've been with mark longer than i've been married um so from a 3d analysis perspective i've got i've got what i believe to be the best person in the industry there 
So they're the kind of that that's the kind of technical components that I rely on. But or that I use. I think it's very easy these days to become reliant on technology. And for any of the golf coaches that are listening to the podcast, I think it's crucial you understand that technology is part of the picture. It's not the picture. Yeah. It's like I'm in sales and we use technology to manage our sales program, CRM and customer relationship management. Yeah. And you can't rely on that because we may call it the one source of truth. That's what's happening in a, in a deal process, but there could be so much stuff going offline. Especially when it well, comes to like and the, and this person. and this yeah. this is this is where the golf coaching industry's got to. I think Paddy, and that the gathering information isn't coaching, gathering data isn't coaching, and the real gold comes when the analysis is appropriate. No different to your to your business. So it's a great example of a of basketball player um, whose name I can't remember, can't even remember the team. And basically from a statistical perspective, he was ordinary at everything. And I mean everything to the point where he was traded from team to team to team where because the, the, the money ball guys were struggling to come up with a reason why they should have this guy in the team. No one had actually identified the right data point the right data point being the team won more often when he played. Hmm. The only data point that matters. The other data point that no one looked at was when he's playing against the very best in the business, your LeBrons, your, your Kobe's, God rest his soul, the, he managed to limit their scoring way beneath their season average every time they played. So it's, uh, I think I made this analogy on um, uh, at Palmerstown, that and it's it's not my quote. I'm not that smart. It's from Paul Casey, who's a mate of mine. Said statistics and data are like bikinis. They might show you something, but they don't show you everything. And as an industry, I I, abs- I absolutely believe that as an industry, we have to get better at analysing the data and the statistics that we are gathering now. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I was even between the difference. Sessions are ongoing. This isn't a track man app, but it's even like it's a, it's, it was a learning session for me in terms of when I I've had to access to track man in a lesson, but also uh, to use my own uh, in my home club. Luckily enough, um, and when you say the right data points, uh, and I think Mike went into this, people generally have the same three to five data points up, and I've I've written on this is my look. This is the people. This will be lost on anyone listening. But this is the Palmerstown House Estate headed paper I took my notes on. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I said stats like uh, the the tiles to add when I'm doing a session that I didn't even know were there. So anybody who's listening, these tiles are in track and to add to your screen. Averages and consistency tiles. Yep. Very key. Um, and, and hit sets of shots. So I don't even yep. do the like the combine at the end and say, okay, am I better or worse than last week? After yep. looking at face to path and an attack angle for about 40 minutes, right? But I've never, after hitting like 10 seven irons, but not seeing the average consistency across 10 seven irons, for example. Yeah. And swing direction was a, was a tile I, um, I said I needed to add. Uh, would you concur with those? <laughs> am I adding the right one? Or what, what tiles do, do you have up? Or do you add them specific to I, the player that you get to know? I have every tile up. Oh. Um, for, for a number of reasons that 
I mean, the way I've arranged my tiles has been the same for 10 years, so I know exactly where I'm looking. But having all the tiles up helps me identify, helps me basically work through the data so I can make a better judgment call on what to change because I'm looking at everything rather than limiting elements. Uh, I also, it's just as a trick, basically to keep the um, to keep the golfer from looking at the screen. If he's got all the data points up there, he doesn't know where to look, so they stop looking. Uh, if I highlight, if I need to highlight a data point, I'm using TPS. I'm, I'm using the, uh, the 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 computer software rather than iPad. Um, if I need to highlight a data point, or if there's a data point that, that I've decided is the one that we need to shift, then I will pull that up on the drop down on the left hand side. But okay. the it's a very conscious decision to have all the data up there, and there's some that I very rarely refer to, but there's none that I never refer to. Yeah, true story. Um, I come to you as a golfer. Mm-hmm. What, what, uh, and I'm coming to you, look, we're going to engage in, in a coach. I'm dedicated. It's going to be monthly, every six weeks, whatever. We agree the cadence. But yeah. what are your expectations of me as a golfer at the beginning of, of, of our relationship and then throughout the tenure? Good, good question. Um, expectation of you is that whatever you can commit in terms of time, it's you stick to that because obviously any work I give you is I've got to take into account how much time you have to play in practice. Um, my expectations are that in an ideal world, I'd like you to keep some kind of on-course stats so that I can monitor your progress because that holds the golfer accountable, but it also holds the coach accountable, which I think is a big failing in the industry just now, that we are accountable for the advice we give. We have to know whether it's working or not. Um, my expectation is that you'll do what I ask you to do. Um, I don't, I'm quite happy to, for you to come back and say, Hugh, I've done exactly what you've asked me to, and it's not working. Um, guess what? That doesn't happen often. Generally the golfer, and this, this applies to golfers of all standards. Generally the golfer will have been distracted by something along the way. And that's funny enough. Well, yeah. And, and there's a, there's a, there's a post I'm putting, putting out tonight that, it's everyone now has got access to the same information, which wasn't the case when I started. Um, for, for, for you to become truly knowledgeable 30 years ago, you had to put a real effort into finding the videos, finding the books. Uh, you didn't have the luxury of being able to go onto Amazon and just buy the book. And I'm, unfortunately, I don't think there's many people that are doing that now. So you, you had a competitive advantage as a coach if you had a great understanding. And you had access to the information. Now everyone's got access to the information. Yeah. And that makes your job harder because you just need to log on to, onto Instagram and suddenly you've got a guy saying, you want to gain more speed, do this. Well, that, that, that's yeah. a snippet of information that may or may not apply to, to the majority of golfers. Um, so it's, it's harder to keep players on track. And again, you'd be amazed at how many guys on tour are, are, are doing that instagram scrolling and actually acting on some of the stuff they see and don't yeah, get me wrong like there is there, there is some very good stuff out there paddy i'm not that it's that there's an awful lot of complete junk but there is some very good stuff out there as well yeah like it's the same in every industry especially like fitness and that's why i'm a big oh. fan of james smith and he just calls it out maybe you could do that maybe you could take like pot and say this is absolute bullshit and then you go viral <laughs> 
But you know uh, what? The amount, the, the amount of times it's crossed my mind. I, I had one of these. I fell down the Insta rabbit hole a few nights ago, and the amount of I'm like, I, it, it was all I could do to not post. How bad is this piece of information? And these are people that have got tens, if not hundreds of thousands of followers. Mm. It's, it's a, and this it's and, the, and the challenge is that this generation of golf coaches, I completely understand that social media is a, a, an integral part of growing your brand and growing your business. But having a huge following and being an expert golf coach are not the same thing. Giving great golf lessons and creating engaging content are not the same thing. What happens when you're stood in front of one of these Instagram influencers who looks great but actually can't make you a better golfer? And there is a, a bundle of them out there, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I'd love to see, like, from a punt perspective, I don't think, like, live lessons are done at all. You know, go on Instagram Live and give a live lesson. Because yeah. that, and because the underlying message there would be, all of this advice is for this subject, you yeah. know? So identify if you have similar movements, numbers, data as this person, and some of this will be applicable to you. But I think also, if that was done, um, by someone, um, then you get a very good idea of what a good coach looks like, or well, you get a very good <laughs> idea of what human is like if you were to go into you make, coaching or you, Paddy talks God for whatever. You make an interesting point in that it's. I don't think the industry, or I, I don't think the consumer knows what a good golf lesson looks like. Yeah, which is a problem, but there's a reason that that paradigm exists, and that's because I don't think that the golf coaching industry knows what a good golf lesson looks like. Yeah. That kind of transitions to the next bit I've written down in terms of you said during the session, and it's something I was like, he's dead right, um, that coaches don't know how important they are. Oh, God, they've got no idea. We are, I mean, okay, I'm coming from a biased perspective. I get that. But I think we are the single most important stakeholders in the game. Pure and simple. I agree, because yeah. I agree with you. You know, we, 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 we introduce people to the game. We help retain them in the game through getting them better. We make the game enjoyable. We make it engaging. We create these fun, safe social communities to play the game. Um, while the traditional club pro role has changed, where, where certainly in Ireland and certainly in Scotland, the club pro would effectively be the epicenter of the golf club. That's definitely changed. And I think we need to grab that role back. I really believe yeah, that, absolutely. and effectively, I think this is a controversial statement. I think our governing bodies are failing us because we need people cheerleading the golf coaching industry. We need people shouting to the industry how important we are. Because I'm based at a golf club, and I'm, I've, got, I've got four or five coaches who I work with, and we bring people to the golf club. That's revenue. We introduce members to the golf club that's revenue we raise the profile of the golf club that's revenue <laughs> we're doing and we're but, paying to be golf here. clubs in their hands that's the revenue yeah. for the oems yeah. <laughs> you know yeah and 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 we're paying to be here so we can do so much to grow the game of golf and I, I, basically my mantra here is that our job is to grow and better the game of golf now me standing on a driving range at a Ryder cup or at a major does that really grow and better the game of golf not really but i'm one of thousands in GB&I 
our role is to make this game better for all. And we're failing on it. So there is a responsibility on golf coaches. I completely get that. And hopefully my my presence now or my how I'm positioning myself is helping to to rectify that, helping to get people to understand that we have a responsibility to get better. But we also need help telling the golf world that having a great coach at a club or great coaches at a club is a great business model. Absolutely. And you find, uh, you actually see it in Ireland because it's such um, a large sample size for golfers. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but it's still, if you, you'll see certain areas with where the elite golfers come through. And mm-hmm. most recently, you say that's Cork, County Cork, so don't mm-hmm. know Callahan is. And Kinsale, so like John Murphy and, mm-hmm. and uh, Mark Power is not too far away in Kilkenny, but, you, you, but it goes in cycles as well. No, so that's what we find in in Ireland. Um, but there's a couple of hubs that's renowned for good good coaches, and as a result, that's where the top, the top golfers seem to stem from. Um, you asked during that same session, uh, you asked for a show of hands as to how many coaches had a process or a system, and I thought, you know, because I'm a process engineer, right? Qualified, blah blah blah. So I'm like everything. Everything and everyone is the process, right? Yeah. Whether it's fundamentally dysfunctional, it's still a process, just that's fine. So not many hands went up. I think out of guilt, a few extra hands went up the second time you asked. Um, so the question would be, what is your expectation of fellow golf coaches new to the game? So like for anyone listening who's like, I want to be a golf coach, or for anyone who's a golf coach and they're like, I don't know if this is for me anymore, this might be the the you know the poke in the fire so what's your expectation of fellow golf coaches both from like that process perspective and also like we touched on like growing the game and become the epicenter of a, a facility as well um my expectation well first of all if, if you've got someone coming into coaching i think creating the right processes across the board is crucial um the reason that i think that a structure or a system to any golf lesson or any coaching process is so important is that not only does it highlight what you're good at and and what works, but it also highlights opportunities for growth. It, oper- it highlights skills gaps, and we're one that we're in this fantastic, um, in this fantastic place as an industry, in that we basically get paid to get better. So every single golf lesson we give, if we use that as a case study for our own skills, it will validate what we know or validate what we believe, or it will question what we believe. And both are pure gold if you're going to become a better coach. You need to know what you don't know. And we're in that luxurious position day in, day out. Now, expectation of coaches, uh, I, I think there needs to be a much sounder foundation in terms of the education process, that a coaching system is fundamental. If you go to a doctor and say, I've got a sore throat, and he says, well, let me, let, me, let me look at your right elbow. And he said, well, I think it might be this. I think it might be that. And you know what? You, you, you can try this drug or you can try that drug. Or you know what, Paddy? There's nothing wrong with you. That in, in the medical profession, you have to have a process. In any high-functioning business, you have to have a process. You have to have a system. Because that gives you the best feedback loop to improve. And I do not understand why this is not stressed, why this is not the, 
to be honest, why this is not the absolute core of any coaching qualification. Because if you don't have a process, you don't have system, you don't have structure, how can you possibly deploy your information and your knowledge effectively? Yeah, true story. You, you, when you were talking there, it kind of reminded me of um, a high-performance seminar I was at. Well, pre-COVID, isn't it great how we mark time with by COVID-19? Um, Pre-COVID, um, and it was about a guy who consulted on high-performance. So I think we're like the Cambridge and Oxford rowing books. And it was like, if this does not, will it help the boat go faster? That's where all of their decisions were made. So Pre-COVID. within their process, every day, you know, you know, will this piece of tech, will that make the boat go faster? You know, and yeah. the same thing with the golf swing, you know. Absolutely. Will this, this will, of, will this advance the golf swing? It, will this piece of information make this player better? Yeah. And are me, are me better? Yeah. And yeah. Said, we're in this luxurious position where every single person in front of you is an opportunity for you to improve what you do. And the 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 circle rounds itself nicely and that you you if you're using that opportunity to get better they will use the opportunity to get better absolutely there's a couple of young coaches uh, that i recognized um at the seminar young sean max actually picked up an orange box that day i believe well mm-hmm. well sean um so for people like sean or people like me who are like i want to do the pga but i can't take the pay cut right now i'd love to do it part-time <laughs> right <laughs> Because uh, it's fact, like <laughs> I would love to do it and use it as a and and do it in and be a golf coach in the evening, you know, yeah. or whatever. Uh, or I can leave sales in and then be a golf coach. You know, I can just transition seamlessly. Yep. You know, and um, that's life goals. But um, what are two or three checkpoints you'd recommend for them? The so process is one checkpoint. Like identify 100%. or start building a process or for their approach to their development. So I have like. Process, learning, and like mindset, motivation, organization is my three bullet points. Mm-hmm. But that's what I, what would you recommend? Something similar or is there something else in the boathouse? Um, no, I don't think there is. I think it, it, you can apply similar principles to any walk of life or any business. But identifying what your process is, understanding that that, that will change, it will refine over time, but having some kind of system and structure to, to put your information in the best possible way for that client, number one. Number two, as a golf coach, if you don't understand impact, then you shouldn't be coaching golf. It's not about zero, 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 is it? No. If you do not understand the dynamics, that collision between club, ball, ground, relative to a target, you should not be coaching golfers. Because, and, and the beauty of this is it's a binary equation. It's geometry and force. That's it. It has no opinion. doesn't know whether it's you on the other end of the club, me, or Tiger Woods in 2000. So understanding that to me is absolutely crucial. And understanding that to a very, very high level. That's number one. Then working through the process, understanding the cause and effect of different start positions on that impact. Because the vast majority of golfers, you can improve, you can change their ball flight just by shifting their orientation to ground, ball, and target. Then within that, that inevitably leads to understanding movement, understanding what mechanically advantageous golf swings look like and what dysfunctional golf swings look like, and becoming 
expert in anatomy, because again, we look at this as an industry, we're responsible for asking players to swing the golf club at anything up to 125 miles an hour many thousands of times on an annual basis. And the vast majority of us don't really know anything about anatomy. I'd say that's borderline unethical. That the, the human body moves a certain way. And then obviously you've got the nuance, the subtlety of how different people choose to move. But understanding the human function is absolutely key. And then on top of that, basically the glue that, that, that binds all that together is the physiological, the, the neurological effect on, on improvement, on performing. Because we, are, we, we do have an operating system in there, and that operating system by and large is hardwired. Again, we need to understand how that functions and how changing state can actually, in a lot of instances, have quite a dramatic change on movement. That, that, that's, that hits me hard in terms of you're absolutely right, because there was one man on this podcast three years ago, one of the first to come on, was um, Gary Hurley, West Waterford. Mm. Was, always, was always touted to be, who's Rory McRoy? Gary Hurley's going to like eclipse that young fella. Yep. And we had a chat in that podcast three years ago, and we talked about the mental state of someone and their effect and their movement. That's what that podcast was all about. And I always tell people, or people, oh, what's your favourite? That's the one. Until today, obviously, you. But that's Until the today. one where... Where like, you know, he rocked up to the golf academy here in Ireland after a two-hour drive and sat in the car for three hours. He was like, what am I doing? I don't even know if I'm going to be doing. And drove home and did that for like three days in a row. And after a journey of three plus years, his sole focus is on his mental state. And he goes and yeah. secures his European tour card last week. And the, inter- the, uh, the, in- the interview he um, he gave afterwards was was interesting. So he definitely touched upon the fact that he was he was exploring it in a very different way to your average golfer. That's and that's still, I guess, if never a question in terms of, of capacity or ability with that man. And I think in terms of research, that's probably where golf related research will go is starting to really understand that how the operating system functions at a higher level. That's still probably the greatest unknown in I think probably in coaching in general, but certainly in golf coaching. Absolutely. Um, for players and coaches alike, what is your place to go for learning or people to go to for learning um, to learn from? You mentioned books. You also mentioned being sharing the sharing the babe, one of the best. But where else would you go? Uh, books or people? I'm lucky. I'm lucky in the purely by accident. I think the best people to learn from are the people in front of you the people you're coaching. As I said, you've got a real-life case study every hour on the hour for as many hours a day as you can, as, as you want. So it has to be driven there. In terms of finding answers and solutions, uh, one of the greatest benefits of being able to work on tour for as long as I have is that I'm able to spend time with the, with the very best in the game. And we do spend a lot of time picking each other's brains. That was something that, I'll be honest, I had a, I had a real competitive advantage there. Um, because it introduced me to a network of people that were that were the very best. Uh, I also was very lucky in that I had two or three mentors growing up, all of whom were great critical thinkers and prepared to be challenged on their beliefs. So again, in conversation with anyone who knows more than you 
on a given subject. So be, not being afraid to be the dumbest part, dumbest guy in the room, which in my instance is, is a fairly simple exercise. But for if you are the smartest guy in the room, then you need to shift rooms pretty freaking quick. Um, yeah. 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 But also, I think, and this is this is for this is definitely something for younger coaches and coaches that are looking to develop. Don't be afraid to get in touch with people. In my experience, the the best coaches are more than happy to share their knowledge. And I, I'm approaching that slightly differently in terms of my my business now, in that I'm I'll actively try and engage with as many people as possible that contact me, because I never really had that support. I never really had the opportunity to discuss my experiences with people that knew more than me. Mm-hmm. And I think I think good coaches are very, very they're prepared to do that. Um, my other learning, basically, I'll be looking outside of golf for a lot of things. I'm, I read an awful lot. Um, I... I I think your career your career phase in anything shifts and in, in many different areas. And early on, you're looking for information. You think, well, if I gather all this information, then I'm going to be better. Well, you probably won't be because gathering it isn't the skill, understanding it is. And then even if you understand it, if you can't communicate it, you're screwed. But you're... I think you go, as a golf coach, you go through two phases. You go through the what I would call the formal education phase, where you're actively looking for information. But then you go into what I call the circumstantial learning phase, where those learnings fall in your lap. Whether it's a player that just is struggling to do something and you need a different solution. But those... And the more you look for the circumstantial learnings, I think the greater your chance of developing true understanding are. It's that's that's the truth across the top performing people in in sport, in business, in whatever line of you're in. You know, it, in tech sales, you're always encouraged to go seek out the best performers across whatever product. And talk to yep. them what's what they're doing and and how they're getting those results, with a view to adjusting and add something to make your to go back to the analogy to make your boat go faster. Well, um, if you if, if all you're doing is going out and gathering information, how much of that is going to be relevant? Whereas if, exactly. if you're using the the pupil case study approach, you can identify something every single session that you can get better at, and it's relevant because if you get better at it, you're making that guy better, that person in front of you better. And the way I put it is that as an industry, we're running around the world paying a lot of money for answers to questions we're never going to be asked. So why not just why not just make your learning and development truly relevant to who you are, your interests, and more importantly, the people that are in front of you? Make them better. Your business will never struggle. Um, Because when that happens, the, the quickest marketing... And I suppose getting people in your door is still word of mouth and referrals. That is still the fastest yeah, way to grow. Absolutely, your business. You know, couldn't agree more. And I was going to say, yeah, exactly. Um, so I was going to ask you know, something I see a little bit of in the last couple of years. I suppose it, it might be down to our weather. UK and mm-hmm. I weather is not is not uh, helping much. But I would say ninety five percent, maybe even more, of coaches. Are range 
pursuing best coaches. But now I see, you know, some coming out of the woodworks, mainly in Ireland, uh, anyway, that I would know of. Donald Scott, Stephen Sweeney, really focusing on short game. Right. Mm-hmm. So do you think that's a good, right? Um, because when you look at someone's score, right, I'm going to have how many full shots, full swing shots around how, how much better can amateurs get, right? So you're talking mid to low handicap, even higher. If they just solely went to a short game coach to look at their putting, to look at their chipping, um, not saying you need to go to Pete Cowan or anything, but do you think that's, what's your opinion on that? I think, I mean, like anything in life, there's pros and cons for it. I think that to become truly expert in something, to use the medical analogy, that if you've got a sore throat and you go to the doctor and he diagnoses that you've got a sore throat and he thinks it's this, gives you this drug, you go away, three weeks later you've still got a sore throat, there's a decent chance he's going to refer you to someone more expert. So the that kind of more global golf coach, there's there will always be a place for that, but equally there will always be a place for people with greater specialisms. So can I coach putting? Yes. Would I prefer to put them onto someone else that really knows what they're doing? Absolutely. And I think the client respects that because you're saying, listen, I can do this, but you're going to get much more value for your money by going to see a Phil Kenyon or a Mike Kansky. How, and I suppose to bring that on a bit, how beneficial would it be to have in your complex or facility for those that have them to have you know, your three or four bays dedicated to the full swing overall, and then the guy down the end with the with the oscillating platform. That's that's what I've got. Or whatever in the back of it. Yeah, that's what I've got. That's what I've got here. Sorry, golf lab. So we can we can do three D stuff with Mark Bull. We can long game. We've got putting specialists and Sam Truman. We've got we we basically we can cover every part of the game. We can we can, we can do an excellent job of junior coaching. I think there is there's definitely an, an argument for having a speciality yeah because we see that now in ireland i suppose especially over the last kind of four or five years is yes driving ranges or courses with the range and there's three or four pga pros there but there's one or two short game guys in the country mm. you know what i mean so so yeah um last kind of question uh, before we get into the real importance right yeah of course is um i see a lot no no, no this is vast I don't do, I do vast, high-level statements. You're going for a big generalization here, aren't you? Yeah, big general statement. <laughs> a lot of places I see, some, like a vast majority of pros do short, less half an hour stints and try and ram the day mm-hmm. with half an hour. But any lesson I have had that's been beneficial, or I've been able to, you know, uh, explain what's going on, hit some shots, work on the data, work on some movements. It's it's an hour or maybe an hour and a half. One of the best lessons Olivia may happy that she had, she hit like 10 golf shots in two hours. Mm-hmm. The best lesson she had. So what do you think is the perfect time for a lesson? Is it an hour? Is it half an hour? Is it you know to be truly productive? I don't do half hour sessions, haven't done for probably 15 to 20 years. The reality is that we've got a, a, a marketplace expectation. And this, this is a, a, an even bigger deal in Northern Europe where golf lessons are 25 minutes. So there is a market expectation, which 
And I think that, that a lot of that's driven by price. That 30 quid for half an hour is a lot more palatable for people than 60 quid for an hour. I get that. Um, but I don't think it's the best way for people to learn and develop. Personally, a golf lesson, if you, in an ideal world, I'm going to see someone for two hours. Um, if it's an hour, then it's generally going to be more checkup stuff and exploring different elements, whether it's going to work on short game or whether it's doing performance testing. Um, but I think an effective golf lesson, you have to be able to have time to analyze what you're going to change or what needs to change. You need to have time to diagnose why that's happening and what you're going to do to fix it. And then your coaching is how you're going to fix it. Now, within that, human beings are not good at retaining information and focusing. So if you throw them a ton of information, they're probably going to leave focusing on the bit that they bias towards rather than the important bit. So I like to, I want to put players in a position where not only are we really being specific about what we're going to work on and why we're working on it, but I want to see them working on that on their own. And I want to see that within a within the coaching or the lesson environment. That hour doesn't need to be an hour of bombarding someone with information. Remember, they're coming there to, to leave hitting better golf shots. And I think as coaches, we've got this expectation that we need to give, we need to show how much information, how much we know, how much stuff we know. <clears throat> that ain't coaching. Mm. That's just that's just ego-driven bullshit. The the reality is in the lesson, once we've identified what it is, we'll spend some time working on that. And whether it's identifying a change in start position or using drills to develop certain movements or feels, but then I actually want to see the player effectively practicing on their own. I just want to monitor what they do in practice so that I'm comfortable that that player is leaving, knowing what they need to do to get better. I also want that, that if you like, that supervised or monitored practice in a session because I need to know that what I've given them is right. <laughs> I'm accountable here. We're all accountable. I need to know that I have prescribed the best possible piece of information for that player and given them the tools to be able to go and work on it and not do themselves any harm. So half an hour for me just doesn't buy you enough time to do that. No, exactly. Um, these are the most important questions you, you'll have in this conversation. Are you ready? I'm you ready. Have the quick bar I'm ready. Yeah. What would your walk-on song be? Good Vibrations, Beach Boys. It's, I've even got it tattooed on my arm, believe it or not. Gym or pizza? Pizza. Pineapple? On pizza? Good. Yeah, I said, yeah, I agree. <laughs> it does not belong there. Um, hat, visor, or a bucket hat? Neither. Is that an option? That is an option. I'd worry. I'd worry about you not selling in Dubai this week. When, okay. when, when, you're, when your hair is this good, you don't want to cover it up. Exactly, the Robert Rock of golf coaching. <laughs> yeah. Um, happy game or a tin cup? Neither. Caddyshack. I only watched that for the first time like uh, this year. Shit, shame so on I you. Finally, you're not, I, you're, yeah, yeah, I know. I, fi <laughs> I not, finally you, got to understand all the memes and the you jokes. You know you're not a proper... You're not a proper golfer until you can quote it line by line. Absolutely. Uh, Walker Cart. 
depends. Walk if walk if I'm playing sort of serious golf. If I'm out, if I'm out with my mates for some hit and giggle and a couple of beers, definitely car. Yeah, I've never tried the latter. I'm I'm a purist. Um, win the Open or win the Masters? Open. It's the oldest. I'm Instagram. Yeah, the oldest. <laughs> there you go, stupid question to you. Uh, Instagram or Twitter? Instagram. Twitter's just player practice. Oh, Twitter, especially with the new guy in charge. <laughs> oh, especially man, with the new guy in mental. charge. Uh, player a bit practice. Of crack now. I, I love, I love to do both. And that actually, not wishing to hijack your quick bar Q and A, I think for coaches to be active in the game, playing and practicing is still something. They don't need to be any good, but actually being a pupil and Spending time being a golfer is so so important. Anyway, that's a that's yeah. a that's an aside. No, no, that's that's the last. No, that's the last question. And a lot of PGA instructors and coaches I speak to, though, I've no time for golf anymore. And like, I have a full time job. I have two kids. I have a podcast. Uh, I take pictures, and I make time for golf. Do you know what I mean? You got to make time for it. Um, so there you go. So the last question. Of the day, and we and we say it's after, uh, it's after the open. One of your players has gone and won it, uh, and you're planning dinner to celebrate on the Monday evening. Uh, so it's Hugh Mars candlelit dinner. Uh, six people, three people down the left, three people down the right. Who is that Hugh Mars candlelit celebration dinner? And me in the middle. You're at the top, and you've three people down the right, three people down the left. They can be dead, alive, fictional. I often say you can have Harry Potter there if you want. Wherever you like. No, I don't. I don't need Harry Potter. Um, I would like. I'd like Sabi there. Um, I'd like Ben Hogan there. Uh, I think that's probably the nod to the golf people. I'd like Anthony Bourdain there. Oh yeah. Um, they're all dead so far, aren't they? Uh, yeah, they yes. are. Um, yes, they are. <laughs> I, they are. I'd like. Uh, <laughs> I'd like Dave Grohl White there. Dinner. Oh, Dave Grohl, yeah. I'd like Billy Connolly there. So I've got two alive. Um, <laughs> I'd like my friend Alex Nicholson there, who's a who's a pro and one of the uh, most entertaining human beings to walk the planet. So he would he would be my uh, my sixth and final. One percent. Um, we'll talk about coaching um, mastery another time, maybe maybe after I've done it. Um, but for now, thank I'd you love for your time. It's been really, really insightful. Really, really insightful. And um, next time you're in town, we'll tee it up for you. I think that would be a great idea. I'd love that. We'll make time for it. Hugh Mara, thank you very much. Paddy, thanks. It's, a pro- it's been a pleasure. That was Hugh Mara. So slightly longer episode than normal. But I was intrigued. I'm not going to cut that man off. Um, sharing knowledge and sharing knowledge almost on the daily on his Instagram feed... Here, links will be in the show notes below but just check like Hugh Mar coaching um, and you'll definitely find him very very close to doing his course myself it's something I've always wanted to learn more about is the golf swing and maybe an old retirement plan for when I'm 5-0 it's not too far away these days is to go down the coaching route um, but yeah really really intrigued so if you are a coach get in touch with Hugh Mar about his coaches about his courses on coaching 
try and say that five times fast. If you did enjoy the episode, maybe you, you're like me and you're a golfer and you just want to learn more about the swing or maybe what you should be discussing with your coach. Like what is the system? What are the steps we're laid out on? What are we working towards? Uh, what stats am I best taking? That'd uh, be really good. And that's next week. I go through that for myself and I was all gung-ho and recording all the stats, all of them. But then next week's guest, Donald Scott of uh, high performance fame works with the elite players in golf ireland and of other golfing federations around the world and some top players on tour uh donald scott so hold on there now paddy slow your roll uh let's just start off small and we go through that framework of recording stats maybe the easier way you don't have to do it all you don't have to climb the mountain at the start and he also gives us some two great games for practice which i'm putting into practice now as we speak i love him and uh, namely for chipping and putting to be competitive with yourself and 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 gain a bit of progress rather than just aimlessly doing stuff. So that's it. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode with Hugh Mar. Please do leave a review if that's your thing. Tell a friend. Put it in a WhatsApp group. This good episode. This good show. You should listen to it. And we'll see you all next week with Donald Scott next Monday. I promise it'll be Monday. I promise. Until we teed up again soon, I'm Paddy. <laughs>